You can sometimes modify your behavior by gritting your teeth and forcing yourself into new habits. But Pastor Trent Griffiths says, forming a new character requires a divine encounter. Some of us, your parents tried to guilt you or threaten you or bribe you to change. And that's moralism, it doesn't last. The only way for true transformation to take place is for you to behold the glory of the Lord in such a way that you change into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Well, for the past couple of weeks here on Resonate, we've been examining the concept of glory. Pastor Trent pointed out that it's common to glorify athletes for their amazing ability or students for their academic accomplishments. We might even glorify wealthy people for their financial success. But overriding any human accomplishment is the glory of God. He's far more glorious than anything that we could imagine. And today on Resonate, Trent Griffith turns a corner and begins to answer the question of how we can glorify God. He gave this message in March of 2018. Here's Pastor Trent. Open your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. This is the final message in a six-part series that we've entitled Made for More. And we have been trying to answer a question. It's this, what in the world was I made for? And the answer is nothing. You weren't made for anything in the world at all. As a matter of fact, we studied the book of Ecclesiastes and we found out that book told us everything that we were not made for and we were not made for anything under the sun. Uh, Solomon that wrote that book said, uh, everything under the sun is hevel. It's meaningless. Which It's hard to get your hands around. It's smoke. It's vapor. It always leaves you wanting more. No matter how much of it you get, you still want more control. You want more meaning. And so we were made for more than stuff under the sun. We found out that we're made for more than isolation. We're made to gather. We're made for more than stagnation. We're made to grow. And we're made for more than setting and getting in church. We're made to go. And last week we said, ultimately, we are not made for ourselves. We are made to glorify the only one who is worthy of our lives. And so I told you last week was a two-part message. Last week we kind of looked at what is the glory of God. Remember we said that glory comes from an Old Testament Hebrew word that means weight. It's a weighty thing to think about the character, the nature, and the attributes of God to weigh His excellence and His perfection, His supremacy. That is such a weighty concept that really it ought to bring me to my knees in worship. And uh, we learned that uh, glory, first of all, is about the manifestation of God's presence among His people. It's when the glory comes down and God self-discloses that which can be known of Him. And so uh, that was kind of veiled in the Old Testament as people got glimpses of God's glory until Jesus came. And Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that Jesus was the radiance of the glory of God, uh, the exact imprint of His nature. And so now that we know Jesus, we can know the glory of God more intimately, more fully. And it's not just the manifestation of God's presence when the glory comes down. 
We learned also it's the magnification of God's person when the glory goes up. And so that's what we just spent 30 minutes doing, giving glory to God, ascribing glory to God. The reason you come to church is not just to write down a few notes and, and shake a few hands and drink a cup of coffee. We're here to turn glory into a verb. We glorify God. We ascribe glory to Him as His people. And that's what we are made for. We're made to glorify God. Uh, let me put it this way. Um, if you go outside today and you look up in the sky... There's this big ball of light. Perhaps you've heard of it. I realize it's March, and so you may not remember, but um, there's this big ball of light in the sky. What is that called? What are you looking at? You're looking at sunlight. If you go out tonight at midnight, you look up in the sky, there's another big ball of light. What would you be looking at? Well, now, wait a minute. The, what, what are you looking at when you're looking at the ball of light in the, at midnight? Aren't you still looking at sunlight? Have you, have you discovered that there's really not such a thing as moonlight? The moon is just this big rock in the sky. And when you're looking at the moon, what you're actually seeing is sunlight that is bouncing off the moon. Do you know that you are made to be a moon? Okay. You're... You're just a rock. That, that's, a, that's actually too complimentary. You're a speck of dust in the universe that God created for one purpose, to bounce His glory off of. When people look at your life, what they're supposed to see is the glory of God. Do you remember when Jesus said, uh, let your light shine before men so that they would see your good works and glorify how awesome you are and you're so smart and you're so athletic and so creative. No, they're to glorify your Father which is in heaven. So you were made to display the glory of God. So all of those are kind of theological and philosophical things about the glory of God. And that's what we were swimming in last week. Today, we're going to get real practical. Some of you are like, I want practical how-tos. How do I glorify God? Well, that's what we're going to get to today. Now, if you do your job right and I do my job right, then you're going to leave here being consumed with this thought. I am made to glorify God. If you get this, you will live this week with a sobering sense that you were made for nothing less than the glory of God. It means that your heart will be overwhelmed with the glory of God. It means the first thought on your mind when you wake up in the morning and the last thought on your mind when you're going to sleep at night is this. Did I glorify God today? In all of my actions, in all of my attitudes, in all of my words, did I reflect the glory of God? The glory of God will be what you talk about in conversation. That you will long for the more of the glory of God in your life personally, in your family, and in your church, and in your community. That, that there would just be a flood, a saturation of God's glory in every place you go. You'll grieve when the glory of God is absent. And you won't be content to live without the glory of God. And ultimately, you'll be compelled to go to the places in this community and ultimately around the world where the glory of God is not known, seen, and loved. If I do my job right, you do your job right, you're going to get to the place where you give yourself fully, finally, completely 
to living for the glory of God. So that's all I'm trying to accomplish today. I hope you do your job right. I'm going to try to do my job right. I'm going to give you three ways to glorify God. Now, I've got to warn you, point three has ten points, okay? So don't get excited when we get to point three. We've got a ways to go when we get there, all right? So number one, how do I glorify God? By being transformed from one degree of glory to another. How do I glorify God? First of all, by being transformed from one degree of glory to another. And that brings us to our scripture. Before we jump into it, let me let you know that what we're about to read is a commentary by the Apostle Paul on an episode that happened back in the book of Genesis with Moses. Moses was called into the presence of God, and Moses got a glimpse of God that few human beings have ever gotten. God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Now, Paul's going to comment on that. How many of you think that Ten Commandments are good? How many, think, how many think the world would be a better place if we just live by the Ten Commandments? Would the, would the world be more glorious if we could just get the Ten Commandments right? Yeah. There's some glory in the Ten Commandments. But I want you to notice what the Apostle Paul said about Moses and the Ten Commandments. Beginning in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. If the ministry of death carved in letters of stone came with such glory. Let me just stop right there. Ministry of death. That sounds like Halloween. Like what? That's so depressing. What are we talking about? Paul describes trying to keep the Ten Commandments as the ministry of death. Anybody get all Ten of the Commandments right this week? Thumbs up if you got all 10 of the commandments right this week. And if you have a thumbs up right now, you just broke one of them because it's like, don't lie, okay? You just bared false witness, all right? So now it's thumbs down. None of us ever get it right. And so do you know what happens when we don't obey God? We die spiritually. We're separated from God spiritually. And so Paul's like, trying to keep the 10 commandments is like death. It's just, it's just like, as hard as I try, I can't do it. So he describes as the ministry of death, these carved stones. That's what God uh, wrote uh, those 10 commandments on. And so he says, that came with glory. Now that was, that was, a, that was a great concept. We just didn't we didn't really obey it much. He says, if that came with glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. You see, when, when Moses got in the presence of God, he got such a holy sunburn from the glory that his face glowed when they came down the mountain. And so they had to put a veil over his face or that would melt their faces off. Just a little Old Testament commentary there. That was what was going on. Then verse 8, it says, Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory. So we contrast the Old Testament as a ministry of death, and yet the new covenant in Jesus Christ as the ministry of the Spirit. Here's the great news of Scripture. We could never keep the Ten Commandments, but Jesus kept them perfectly. And if we trust Jesus, God will credit Jesus' obedience to our account through the ministry of the Spirit. That's what he's summarizing there in verse 8. Verse 9, for if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all. So the idea of rule-keeping and man-made rule-keeping religion, if, if that seemed glorious at some point, it's like that's got no glory compared to the ministry of Jesus. 
because of the glory that surpasses it. Verse 11, for if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Let me say something about that. That's the third time I've read that something was being brought to an end. What was being brought to an end? It was this idea of rule-keeping religion in the Old Testament. And it was the glory of that. And we're told that Moses put this veil over his face actually to protect the people from getting the sunburn. But then after a while, he put a veil over his face so that they wouldn't see that the glory was actually fading. It was like he was ashamed or embarrassed that the glory was being brought to an end. And so like, we don't want to be like that. We don't want our glory to ever be brought to an end. And it won't be because of Jesus. So he goes on in verse 12. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Down in verse 14. But their minds were hardened for to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. So he's speaking of our our Jewish friends who can't see that Jesus is their Messiah as we read it in the Old Testament. Our veil has been taken away. We can see this, but our Jewish friends can't see it. Then verse 15. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So if you're here today, and the Bible seems really fuzzy to you, the concept of God seems kind of like a distant, ethereal concept. If it's really, really hard for you to see how Jesus' death on the cross could really have meaning for you 2,000 years later, do you know what the problem is? You've yet to have the veil removed. You're trying to see all of this while the veil is still there. You say, okay, well, how to get rid of the veil? He tells you there in verse 16, turn to the Lord. Turn away from sin, turn away from self-made, self-righteous religion and your attempt to be glorious and admit I am not glorious and turn toward the Lord and the veil will be removed. Now look down at verse 18, which is really the verse I've been trying to get to the whole time. And we all, all right, now stop right there. This is us, Harvest Bible Chapel 2018 here in Granger. We all, this has implications for us. Notice, with unveiled face, if you have turned to the Lord and the veil has been removed, we are beholding the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. Now, there's so much in this verse. First of all, I want you to notice the importance of beholding the glory of the Lord. That's what we've been doing over the last two weeks. Looking at the glorious attributes of God, His love, His grace, His wisdom, His knowledge, His power. It is important that we behold the glory of the Lord because the Lord wants us to become the glory of the Lord. John Piper says it this way, beholding is becoming. Beholding the glory of Christ puts you in a position to become like 
the glory of Christ. We are being transformed. The word transformed is the um, New Testament Greek word metamorpho. Sound familiar? There is a metamorphosis that happens in me every time I behold the glory of the Lord. The veil is lifted. I can never be the same. Every day I need an encounter with the glory of the Lord to transform me from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. Think about these degrees. Like, what's the word degree about? Well, we get that here in, in Michiana, right? We, we like more degrees. How many of you are in favor of more degrees? More degrees of heat, right? Um, think about the degree of incline. Andrea and I went hiking um, in Arizona a few weeks ago, and, and we took this trail, and the further we went, the greater the degree of incline there was, right? Well, that's what our lives is supposed, are supposed to be like. You get saved, you come to the Lord, you turn to the Lord, the veil is lifted, and you're like, oh my goodness, there's this new glory. That's great. But from that degree of glory, you are to go on to other degrees of incline, other degrees of glory. Andrea was really impressed. Really, the only thing we watched in the Olympics this year was that snowboarding thing where they come down this huge slope going a thousand miles an hour and then they hit this ramp that sends them into the ozone layer for a while and then somehow they land. Now, how, how many of you can think back to think, now who thought that up? <laughs> let's get a big ramp and let's see how, what, what happens when we fly off the end of it. Somebody had to do that first, right? All right, so whoever did that first they probably didn't do the twists and the somersaults and all they did on the 1,000th time they did that, right? They went from one degree of difficulty, which was just the guts to do it the first time, to a greater degree of difficulty. That's what the Christian life is supposed to be about. It's like you swallow real hard, you get enough guts to try something that you think, I can't do this, and it happens. And you're like, I think I'd like to try that again. This time I'm going to try it with a somersault, Right? <laughs> And you keep going on from one degree of glory to the next. There is glory in getting saved. Yes. Now let's get you to another level of surrender and obedience and loving and self-control and purity. All those different things. We keep going. We never stop being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. If you stopped at some point 10 years ago and you thought, I think I'm glorious enough. Don't you agree? I mean, my glory is just leaking out everywhere and people are just telling me, boy, you don't, have, you don't need to change at all. First of all, you're self-deceived and you're not married. So, um, you know, get married and, and you will get a different uh, commentary on your how glorious you really think you are. But we are never to stop moving from one degree of glory to another. Do you know what that's called? That's called discipleship. That's what we're all about. It's being transformed from the glory of admiring Jesus to the glory of worshiping Jesus. It's being transformed from serving Jesus out of duty, because you ought to, into another degree of glory of serving Jesus because you want to. And you, there's nothing you'd rather do because you've seen his glory. It's being transformed from being a disciple to the glory of making disciples. 
we are ever to be transformed by the glory of the Lord. This is the only way to change behavior that is approved by God. I mean, some of us, your parents tried to guilt you or threaten you or bribe you to change. And that's moralism. It doesn't last. The only way for true transformation to take place is for you to behold the glory of the Lord in such a way that you change into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. So how do I glorify God? By being transformed from one degree of glory to another. Here's the second way. By abiding and reproducing. By abiding and reproducing. That word is found in John chapter 15. And Jesus said this, I am the vine, you are the branches. It's almost as if he was saying, don't get confused about who you are. The branch has no life and has no ability to produce fruit if it's not connected to the vine. So he says, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You cannot glorify God without abiding in Christ. The verse goes on and says this, by this is my father glorified. So you're asking the question, how do I glorify God? Jesus gives you the answer by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. God wants you to be bearing fruit. Fruit is just simply the byproduct of hanging out with Jesus. If you go back and look at that word abiding again, the word abiding has always tripped me up. I've always like had trouble trying. I give my life to explaining words in the Bible, right? I've had the hardest time trying to figure out how to explain the word abide until this week. The Greek word doesn't have a great English word to convey its meaning. It, some translations say remain in me. It's like don't go away. I don't know if that's the right thing. Um, some, it, it's really more has to do with living or dwelling together. It's this connection that happens. I in you and you in me. So this week I figured out how to explain it. I have a 20-year-old son named Zach. About a month ago, Zach called me and he said, Dad, spring break is coming up. And here's what I'd like to do for spring break. Um, I've got four buddies in college. They're at Cedarville University. He's in his third year, and he's got these four really close friends. And he's like, we want to go on a spring break trip together. He's like, I need your help. I need to borrow the family Toyota Highlander in order to put this, to put, put this together. And he's like, we want to go to Banff National Park. I'm like, you want to go to a national park that's not even in our nation? He's like, it's in Western Canada. I'm like... What? And I knew they didn't have any money. He's like, "That's okay. Just, we just if you, we get some granola bars, and uh, and we've got a tent. One of the guys has a tent. We just need the Highlander, and we'll be fine." So, they show up on Monday, and they take the Highlander, and and they take off. And uh, I'm kind of tracking them on Find My Friends on my phone, you know, to make sure they're not going somewhere they didn't tell me they were going. But uh, anyway, sure enough, they go and um, and they have the greatest time. And um, they, they took this tent and, it, you know, they, they didn't have any money so that, you know, they're just going to sleep in the tent. Well, they tried that one night in Montana in March and found out it's 
cold. And they said, we don't think we want to do that anymore. So the next night, they looked around and they saw a lot of nice houses around them. And as Bible college students, they must have remembered Revelation chapter 3, where Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will eat with him and he with me. And so they must have been inspired by that verse. And so they found a nice house and they walked up and they knocked on the door and they explained what they were doing. And they said, we just need a place to, to sleep. We'll be out, you know, by six in the morning. And there was this very nice lady that said, well, sure, come on in. And, and so uh, they stayed in this home of, of this lady here, you know, one night and and just had a great time, and they found another home the next night. And uh, so, anyway, they're just kind of vagrant college students, just no money. But so they came back yesterday, and they brought the Highlander back with no damage. I was grateful. Uh, they put seven thousand miles on it, and um, and then and then Andrew and I got into the Highlander after these five boys had been in it for a week without taking a shower and there was there was an abiding presence there in the Highlander of of these boys. So but I got to thinking about it and I mean how many of you when you were twenty years old did something like that? It's like I this is the greatest week of my life. Something like that. Yeah. Well they, it really was. And you know, I could just imagine twenty seven hour it's actually it was thirty one hour trip out there and a thirty hour one hour trip. And I'm like, at the end of those seven days, do you think those guys knew each other? There was probably something, there's probably nothing they didn't know about each other. Do you know what they did the entire week? They abided. They connected. And they connected with the nice lady in her, in her home for a couple hours too. That's what Jesus wants from each one of us. When you spend time with Jesus, you become like him. You become a reflection of him. You display his glory. All these guys, they smelled identical. They, they looked identical. They, they, they were all wearing each other's clothes. I mean, it was just, they became one. And that is how you become a display of God's glory by connecting with that glory. And by that, God is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples, one who looks like, acts like, and lives like Jesus. Well, every believer in Jesus wants to be transformed from one degree of glory to another. That's why we intentionally expose ourselves to the Word of God regularly. As Pastor Trent Griffith mentioned, when Moses spent time with God, it changed him. When we spend time with God, it changes us too. So how do we spend time with God? Well, by reading the Bible, praying, and by regularly gathering with other Christians. You know, church is where we can glorify God in a corporate way, and we help each other grow. So I'm here to encourage you to attend church faithfully. Get involved and bear much fruit. It will glorify God. Now, if you're looking for a church home, we'd like to invite you to visit Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger. For more information about service times and locations, just go to harvestgranger.org. Again, that's harvestgranger.org. And be sure to check out our Facebook page by searching for Harvest Bible Chapel Granger. Well, next week, here are the people that Pastor Trent will be coaching on how to glorify God. Ready for the list? 
If you're a husband, a wife, a parent, a child, a member of a family, anyone who has ever been hurt by someone else, if you're a business person, an employer, someone who interacts with customers, someone who has experienced suffering, someone who is weak, or if you're just a sinner, then next week's resonates for you. We'll hear practical advice on the ways that you can glorify God, so don't miss it. Well, thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that God's Word would resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger. Visit us online at harvestgranger.org.